actually attempted Skullman's spin server in black, as was labeled wrong last week. We have my great friend and Raiders insider, Joe Rigo, with us. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good. Good. I am your host, Kaylin Sakel, and you can find me on Twitter at mini underscore Kyle2. On today's show, we are loaded with Raiders topics for you all, including why the draft lobby that the NBA uses would never work in the NFL, how Las Vegas is becoming a destination for players, coaches, and even other professional sports teams. We dive deep into Raiders, talk about how the new train built the in Las Vegas be a game changer for the Raiders. All while we set the record straight on draft analysts becoming NFL general managers. And if Mike Mack has actually started a pipeline of this with Daniel Jeremiah under consideration for the general manager position with the New York Jets. All of this and much more for you all today on Spin Server Black. So let's dive right in. Um, so, Joe, with different teams coming to Las Vegas, the Raiders included, the WNBA team, Las Vegas Aces, and with uh, rumors swirling that you put out a while back about the NBA Pelicans possibly uh, coming to Las Vegas, um, how has it become a destination for four teams? And players, because I know Brand Marshall in the past week, he signed a contract with the Raiders because of their move to Las Vegas and the tax situation. How is it becoming a destination for players, coaches, and everyone alike? Well, I think when it comes to Las Vegas, it's always been a great sports town. When you have the melting pot of people that come to Las Vegas from all over the world, to and a lot of them watch sports. I mean, I was at the Cosmopolitan uh, the last couple of years from March Madness with Arash Markazi, formerly of ESPN, now of the LA Times, at a place called Hoops and Hops that only is open during March Madness. And it's the absolute best place to watch those types of games. And you have people from all over the world. And from a player's standpoint, you know, you touched on the taxes. <clears throat> Excuse me, you touched on the taxes. When you can save up to 23% of your paycheck, and that's pretty much what it is if you're comparing it to California because you have the state taxes. And then on top of that, there's what you call, and they call an athlete's tax, athlete's entertainer's tax. So just because you play, you're in a specific field of either athletics or um, entertainment, you get taxed more. So because you can save that type of money by playing in Vegas, of course, it's going to be attractive to players. But let's look at it from a different standpoint. And I'm going to flip it to flip the script a little bit. Okay. It's people talk about, well, Vegas is people, players are going to get in trouble. Players could do this. Players could do that. The problem is this. You could say the same thing about Los Angeles, New Orleans, Atlanta, Miami, New York, Chicago. Those are places that everybody has a good time at. If you go to those places, if you've ever been in those places, and even if you live in those places, you know the type of distractions and fun people can have. Imagine being an athlete and having really the amount of money, any amount of money you want to have a good time. And you can go ahead and do it, especially in those places. Vegas is the same thing. The exact same thing. It's just, honestly, it's not as spread out as some of those places. Vegas is a very, very small community. It's actually a very homey community. Um, everybody seems to know everybody. If you know this person, then you know that person. Kaylin, you know this firsthand. 
from even just with the UNLV people. If you know this person, then you know that person and whatever the case may be. So from that, from the player standpoint, you can do things and there's other parts of Las Vegas. I think players are going to, are going to hang out. They're not going to hang out at the strip. They'll go to a few clubs down there. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to hang out with players, I think you're going to see a lot of what the Golden Knights do and a few other people. You're they're going to hang out in the Summerlin area where it's a little more affluent. It's more family. There's still a lot of in- entertainment and entertaining things to do. If they want to go to a, a casino and gamble, they have Red Rock right there. Nobody's going to bother you. It is basically considered uh, a local casino, but it's got a big time strip feel. So from a player standpoint, that's that makes Vegas attractive. And then you go from the from the league standpoint, the big knock on Vegas obviously was gambling for a number of years. Well, gambling is so regulated that it's not as if it's easy to to kind of manipulate the sport as one may think. Now, any player can gamble on a sport. In fact, if they really wanted to gamble on themselves or their team, they could have, there's a way to make it happen where nobody would find out. And there's players, some players do that. Some players don't. It's just the reality of it. That's no different than anybody else putting money on, on a game or whatnot. If they bet against themselves or their team. That's a different story. But if they're betting, you know, if they're betting for themselves uh, and to win, it is what it is at this you see Floyd Mayweather for instance do it all the time when he bets on himself in a boxing match and and that stuff you can't control no matter what you can't control but it's it's legalized throughout the United States now the country you can gamble anywhere if you want to if they want to put up casinos it's up to that state's discretion but it's not illegal anymore and when ESPN is building studios on the strip uh right near or at the link, which is a hotel on the strip where they have a big um, Ferris wheel for those that don't know. When you have ESPN uh, building the studios, when you have ESPN and Caesars linking up to, to give numbers, when you have Fox sports putting together gambling specific shows and podcasts, um, when you have all the major networks running lines on the on their bottom line and talking about, you know, odds and whatnot. It's the leagues are starting to accept it and realize now it's not as taboo as it once was. And that's why you have the NBA, which will be in Las Vegas in the next three to five years. They've done, they're doing surveys all over the place. Vegas has long been a destination spot for the NBA. The New Orleans Pelicans, as I, as I put out there about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago is the team to really watch to come to Vegas. Um, because of of ownership issues and because of attendance issues in New Orleans, um, when you look at Major League Baseball running surveys and and the rumors that the Rio is going to be uh, blown up and tore down, and that's where they're going to put a Major League Baseball stadium within the next ten years, um, that is another that's another good sign that is probably going to happen. And a little known fact, in last thing I'll say regarding gambling, unless you have something else, question wise is. There, the 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 perception of all the pro sports and their commissioners and their you know the leagues and whatnot has always said the first league that went into Las Vegas will be very successful there, and obviously that's the NHL, uh, McPhee and the Golden Knights. Um, 
And as you can see, they're very successful in terms of the fan base, how, how the community has rallied around the Golden Knights and they've turned the tragic events of one October into a positive and they really use that to, to spin it and, and ingratiate themselves in the Vegas community where now that is, that's home team forever. Like the fans and the people of Las Vegas love the Golden Knights, even people that aren't from there that were there like myself that was there for one October, um, in the city, um, you really have a different connection with them. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I was just going to cover them and say, okay, it's a good team. You know, it's a, the local team, you know, let's hopefully they do well in the next few years. Let's hopefully it works out that that's, you know, that that's your thinking. But then when that happens, you know, and you grew up a Kings fan like myself in Los Angeles, growing up in Southern California, it's almost as if like, nah, man, like they got to win. They got to win for these, for the for the, the people that were victims and for the people that survived. They have to win for for the city. And then it's like it becomes addictive. It becomes like a drug and it gets in your veins and you're just you're like you become crazed and 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 infatuated with them. That's what pro sports and that's what the Golden Knights have done to the city of Las Vegas. And now with the Raiders coming, which already which was almost like the gateway team, and then you get the Golden Knights which is kind of like a harder drug. And then once the Raiders come in, they're going to be like the ultimate. And then you stay these other sports teams when, and if they start to come in, the city is just going to gravitate towards them. I mean, look at the, the aviators, the A's triple a team in Las Vegas. They're all, they're outdrawing on a nightly basis. The Miami Marlins with like 9,800 people. I think the Marlins have like 9,100. So when you look at that, it just goes to show you exactly what type of town Las Vegas is when it comes to sports. Yeah. And to pick up on that, um, people are gravitating towards the Knights and everything because they're also winning, but they're winning because uh, <clears throat> the city is behind them because everyone, you know, is behind them because that energy that the fans bring in Vegas, it's a different type of energy that compared to other places it's i've heard people say that the golden knights is like more of a show more of an entertainment factor and it when teams gravitate towards vegas it's a whole different type of fan base they're not all there for the game a lot of them are there for the entertainment everything it's it's just it's just different i i don't know if you've seen that but i well i have because with the Knights, they'll bring in Cirque du Soleil during uh, intermissions and stuff, among other performers. Like they had uh, last year, they had a band come in during the Western Conference Finals, perform, and then... As long as it isn't Imagine Dragons, they're bad luck for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nah, you know, but, no, but oh, you're yeah. right. I think, I, th <laughs> I, th I think what it does, Kaylin, is... For let's say you you're the the husband of the house, and I don't mean to make a stereotypical family or say this is how it is in every house. So please don't take it that way, folks. But the husband comes in, him and him and his son are big time hockey fans. Man, like they they just all of a sudden got into the Golden Knights, and they all of a sudden they're hockey experts. So they go for the game and the fights. And but then let's say your wife and your daughter go 
you know, because it's a family night out and they want to make it to where just the casual fan or the non-fan can have a good time at that event too. And you see that more with other sports as well. I mean, I'll go back to LA for an instance. If you're a big time, you know, baseball fan, for instance, in, in Southern California, there's really on the West Coast, there's no better place to watch a game than Dodger Stadium. There's, there's not a one. Um, the field, the, the, what that stadium meet has done meant for baseball, how old it is, but how pristine it is. Um, it's, it's a fantastic venue. There's not a bad seat there to watch, to watch the game. I mean, the only thing that sucks is you're on a top level, you're high and you're looking right over it. But other than that, I mean, it's a fantastic stadium to watch a game at. So if someone like me who loves baseball and played it and watches all the little intricacies and, and the chess matches throughout the game, I prefer to watch a game there. But if I'm bringing my girlfriend or I'm bringing the kids, um, if I'm bringing, if I'm just going to hang out and if I don't, if I'm just a casual fan, then I'm going to take them to Angel Stadium because there's more stuff to do. They have a kid area where kids can throw a ball and come almost like an amusement park where you can throw a ball fast. So they have a batting cage where you can hit in there. And there's, there's specific, you know, areas that are as more family orientated, um, than it is a Dodger stadium. So the, what the golden Knights have done is took both and put them into one venue at T-Mobile and said, okay, we're going to make this as entertaining as possible on the ice with our, with our team and how good we are. You know, I mean, we're, we're, Two straight playoff appearances, their first two years of existence, Stanley Cup uh, finals appearance, their first year. This year, kind of getting robbed uh, with a bad call by the, by, the, by the refs and the NHL saying they're sorry, which they've been doing a lot when it came to San Jose and the Sharks this, this postseason. Um, so you have that side of it, and then you have the other side where you have a, a group like Imagine Dragons there, or you have um, various celebrities, Wayne Newton for the older crowd, or um, you, you name a celebrity that's in or a little John or whomever it's around, um, uh, twirling the, the siren and the intro is the best in the NHL. I mean, it's, it is as, as close to, uh, like a different venue pre ice, pre game, right before the drop of the puck. I mean, when they're doing the team announcements and especially before the Stanley Cup finals, they were so inventive last year and, um, man, it was, it was the best, the playoff the, 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 before they go to, we, they, they kill the lights and then the night comes out. And if it's the, if it's the Winnipeg blue bombers and, or the Winnipeg uh, jets, excuse me, I'm thinking the CFL, the Winnipeg jets. And all of a sudden the jet comes in the night, cuts it in half after fighting with somebody. I mean, that, that stuff like that gets little kids involved. And what that does is create a fan base. It, it's almost like, Little Bow Wow, the, the rapper. I mean, now he's just Bow Wow. But what made him so successful was Snoop and, and Jermaine Dupree got him out at like, a, you know, Snoop had him on his first album. And then, um, then Jermaine Dupree signs him and he puts him out at a young age. And now he's got a fan base you can grow with. And that fan base sticks with him no matter what. And he's what in his late twenties, early thirties now. Now for, you know, 20 years or more, this guy, this, this entertainer has a fan base that will forever buy his music. And it's the same thing. You see it with other, you know, the Rams doing it in LA with their fan base. They're reaching out to the community a lot more than, than, um, the Chargers or 
anybody else because they know 10, 15 years from now, Los Angeles well, he'll, they'll have fans that have grown up with being LA Rams fans and they're not going to remember the days of the Raiders being in Los Angeles. They're not going to, they're not going to care that the Chargers are there. They're going to care about the Rams being the team in Los Angeles. And, and it's just building a fan base from the ground up. You farm it, you cultivate it while well, you help it grow. And, and that's exactly what the, what's happening with Vegas sports. They're cultivating it from the ground up and they're doing it with, with super, grow formulas that's that this has the city on fire and craving even more sports yeah and to sort of uh piggyback off your point uh do you think that i mean how do you see the raiders sort of gathering people from different areas different people how do you see them um pulling everyone in adding that extra uh, entertainment factor that, you know, the Knights do, how do you see them sort of piggybacking off of that? I don't think there's going to be any pregame stuff like that. This is the NA, this is the NFL. Um, the NFL is a different beast when it comes to stuff like that. Um, as far as them getting more people involved, I mean, look at the community, look at the community outreach stuff that they do every, every week, it seems like. Um, I'm not sure if you get the same emails I get. But I get them directly from the team that, okay, they're, they're, you know, I'll get from said person. Um, no, it's really, it's really two or three different people I get the emails from and Raiders in the community. Raiders are going to be here at Raiders are going to be at Centennial High School, uh, giving Dustin Forshe a check for $2,000 for being, uh, high school coach of the year. I mean, that's just an example. It's, that's not what's actually happening, but, but it's an example. So you have, them doing that and all the time they're always in the community giving you know you know helping with firefighters or special olympics or first responders or um whatever the case may be and i and you have to give mark davis will kiss mark vidane uh the entire deep, you know raiders organization credit for for really for the last few years getting in the community and really again planting seeds and are watching it grow and helping it grow. So you have to give them credit for that. Um, entertainment wise, the entertainment wise is going to happen on the field. I mean, when you, when you look at the team, um, let's say this year is, is a better year than it was last year. And you have, you know, Derek Carr, um, getting back to what he was before he broke his ankle. Uh, you have Antonio Brown and, and the draft picks coming in with, with Jacobs. You have Tyrell Williams on the outside. Um, you know, you have Hunter Renfro in the slot making plays. Um, when you have a defense that has guys like Cleveland Farrell and Josh Abrams leading, Abram leading on the back end and, and being so young and, and you got a local guy like Brandon Marshall, who you mentioned earlier, who went to Cimarron High School, graduated the same year as Marcus Banks. Um, he he's a guy that you have to you know or no I don't know if he graduated the same year as Marcus Banks but I know they they known each other for quite some time Marcus and I were actually just talking about Brandon not too long ago um, but when you have when you have those things then guys that understand Vegas and has been that live there when you have those aspects all come together 
um, it's easy for fans to turn around and, and want to come to games. I mean, who's not going to want to go to that stadium? We we talk about it from the full, from the college side, Kaylin. We'll just you know we you and I talk about it privately when it comes to UNLV. Like that stadium plays a role for kids wanting to go to that school because they they see that brand new state. They see the the stadium that NFL guys playing, that the Raiders playing. That's going to host Super Bowls and college football national championships and playoff games like that plays a major major role in their thought process in terms of them picking a school and it's no different than guys as free agents first of all you get to play in a, a dome stadium on grass so you win twice there because nobody really likes playing on field turf um or turf for that matter especially when it's 110 degrees outside 115 degrees outside in September and early October and and you know you're on grass and it's 75 degrees in there and when you're done you're you're literally probably 15 20 minutes wherever you're at in Vegas you're 20 minutes away literally so you're 15 or 20 minutes from your house which isn't a, a far drive and you're in a city where you wherever you go at night if you're not going to be mobbed by people like if you go to um, or Ferreros and have dinner on a Sunday night after a Raiders game. Um, and you could go in there and see Mark Davis. You can go in there and see, um, JT the brick, you know, having dinner. You can go in there and see various Raiders players having dinner over there. Um, and they're not, and it's just going to be like, oh yeah, it's just Mark. Oh, it's just, you know, Derek and, and AB. Oh yeah. They, they, they come here every Sunday. And that's the attitude that, that Vegas has versus in some cities, people are going to mob them. And it, it becomes a really bad look. So, um, Vegas is used to big time celebrities being there. Um, even the people of Las Vegas, they don't get groupied out. And that's the easiest way for me to say it. And, uh, so when it comes to, you know, on the field, the play is going to speak for itself. And if it's not, you know, I, I, there's going to be a problem. Um, but I, I don't believe that to be the case. I think that the Raiders have put together a very good offseason. Um, going in the right direction. Um, I think they've added a lot more weapons offensively and defensively for that matter. And they're in a position to be a lot better than what people are going to think. And I believe the over under in Vegas this year is six wins. Um, barring an injury, a, a significant injury to a key contributor. Uh, I like the over with the six wins. Yeah. Same here. And one of the players uh, they actually picked up in undrafted agency, Alex, Alec Ingold from Wisconsin, fullback. He was the only fullback invited to the scouting combine and the senior bowl. And he worked intensely with Gruden and everyone. So he could really be a guy who could shine, especially with Josh Jacobs in the backfield being that Ingold is more of a run blocker. And, um, open lane for him. Then you have Carr coming back, you know, healthy with more weapons. And then, of course, you have a beefed-up offensive line with the signing of Trent Brown and guys with a little more experience in uh Gruden system. And then you also bring in Jonathan Abram, a hard-dang safety, among other players who are really going to sort of elevate the level of play on the field. But 
Alec Ingold, I mean, being a drafted free agent that the Raiders signed, I think he could really uh, play really sort of hidden crucial role on the Raiders this upcoming season. So, so you're staking your claim to Alec Ingold as your as your rookie free agent, undrafted rookie free agent that's going to make the team. That that's your guy. You're going to can we can we bank on Kalen going out and getting the Alex Engel Raider jersey? Uh, should he make the team? Yeah, let, let, let's bank the claim on that. Okay, there it is. Okay, cool. I'm I'm, I'm going to bring that up to Q when we do Q and A. I'm, I'm going to tell him uh, we can't take Engel. That Kalen stuck his stuck his claim to him, <laughs> and uh, and that he that he said if he makes the team, he's gonna he's gonna break open his miser wallet and uh, <laughs> and, and buy, get himself an Eagle Raiders jersey. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, okay, I am Kalen. I'm also Kalen's boss for Inside the Rebels, so Kalen is notoriously cheap. When I mean cheap, he makes Scrooge McDuck look like he's he's making it rain every single second of the day. Kalen is notoriously cheap, so that's why I say Kalen the miser is breaking open his wallet. So <laughs> let's pull back the curtain a little bit so they get to know Kalen the man versus Kalen the the guy that's spitting silver and black. Yeah, but I mean. Out of the undrafted free agents, who do you like? You know, there's a there's a couple. Um, like I made it very known uh, and very I'm very open about it. Keyshawn Nixon um, is a friend of mine. Actually, he he trains with. Uh, he was when when my son Peanut was living in Vegas. Um, he was he was training with Keyshawn. Uh, Keyshawn and Peanut were training with a good friend of mine named Charles Ely, for U, former UNLV defensive back, uh, a fantastic. Defensive back coach. I think he's the best defensive back coach in the state of Nevada. Uh, if I'm being 100% honest, um, um, he's also a high school football coach. Um, he did it for a very long time. Great person. But Keyshawn has, was, they were training with, with Charles, who was Keyshawn's high school coach in Los Angeles at a high school, one of the high schools Keyshawn went to. So that's how I got to know Keyshawn. Um, I like the receiver out of, uh, UC Davis. Um, I think he's got a chance to not only make the team, but play significant minutes and potentially be, I could see him starting opposite of Tyrell with they or getting when they go four wide, him playing outside, him and, uh, Tyrell Williams. And then you get AB and Hunter Renfro in the slot, which I think would be a deadly, deadly group of four guys for the Raiders. Um, and then, uh, the, um, the linebacker from Notre Dame, um, his name slips my mind right now. Um, I know there was Doss, Nixon, and um, Coney. I think Coney's gonna has got a chance to to truly be a guy that can eventually. I think he'll start a couple games this year. I'll put you like that. I think if Burfett goes down, Coney's the guy that goes into the middle. Um, I'm not real sure why he dropped. It may have been lack of athleticism. Um, you know, there's been some, I think, some uh, questions on whether or not he can cover. But I think he's a guy that's going to make an impact and he's going to be, you know, have a lot of Raiders fans really, really liking him. Uh, but those are the three 
that really stand out. I like Ingold making the team as well. In part because I, I know I know they they have they have the the tight end on the roster already, but I think this guy's a, he's a different type. And uh, between between actually all of those guys really had a well. I know Das, uh, Ingold, and Coney had about fifteen to twenty teams vying for them um, after the you know after the draft and during the draft when they kind of knew they were going to go undrafted. Um, and I know Keyshawn had options as well. So, um, so I guess for me, um, those are the guys that really stand out. Um, I would like to see, uh, uh, Ali get a really good, get a really good run. I think he could be a practice squad type guy though. Um, he's a, the kid from last chance you, uh, the first season, uh, with coach buddy down at Eastern, uh, Eastern Mississippi, uh, community college. Um, Big defensive tackle, um, kind of became the star of the show. I mean, there was, there were more famous, uh, guys on the team, guys that had more, you know, had more press and more run and more pub, but he was a guy that they ended up going to like Nickel State. Um, it was great, you know, made sure his grades were in order and he just, and he just would grind and, and he became like the darling of the show. Um, and just off his personality, you always seen, him smiling, but he was making plays. So he's a guy I would like to see get a legitimate, legitimate chance, um, as well. Um, I know they all signed. So they're, um, Ali signed. Ali actually had a tryout, I believe. And he got a, a camp invite off the tryout from the, the first rookie mini camp. So, um, let's just hope that they all stick and, 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 you know, but at the same time, you know, what people tend to forget, and I know this firsthand because um, my I call him my my brother. Um, his name is Tyron Brackenridge. He he played uh, with the Chiefs and the Jaguars, and he up in Toronto with Saskatchewan. And the last three years, he's been the Toronto's Argonauts defensive back coach. Um, and we with Bossy Bossy got went undrafted out of Washington State and, and had a lot of different teams looking at him um, coming out and we were there and the phone's ringing and, and there's teams like um, Green Bay and, and Minnesota, um, the Jets, the Jaguars, uh, uh, the Rams, they all were calling, but he ended up signing with the Chiefs because um, for him, it was the best opportunity to play. Uh, he looked, he looked at their defensive backs, uh, the room and said, you know, they don't have a lot of DBs. I can go in there and I'm better than this guy and this guy. And he made his decision off that. And he, 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 had, he, and those are just a few of the teams. So he ends up signing with the Chiefs and, um, he was the first year of hard knocks. I'll never forget it. So I'll know our, our uncle John says, he tells him, look, when the cameras are there, don't do anything stupid. Like I can never forget him saying that. And we, we laugh about it now, but he became one of the stars of hard knocks, um, dancing in the locker room with his big afro sticking out and, um, and by week three, uh, he played, he got a lot of minutes, uh, against whoever they played. I forget who it was. And there were significant minutes, but he also partially tore his peck in his, uh, in that game. And a, a torn peck normally you're out for the year. Um, and he came to practice and he had a brace on and Gunther Cunningham, who just passed away, he was, the Chiefs D coordinator at the time, former Raiders defensive coordinator under Art Shell. Um, Gunther Cousin goes, Hey, Brad, come here. Put your hand right here. And he puts it, it's like between his shoulder and his, his pec muscle. 
And he goes, you feel that? You feel that, uh, the hole right there? He goes, yeah. He goes, I tore my pec in like 1960 something. And they never had surgery. That's what it feels like. So I asked Brack, I said, I said, Bossy, when did you know that you are making this team? And he goes, honestly, Joe, um, it was during a practice and Herm Edwards came to me and was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I got to practice. I got to play this week. I got to make the team. He's like, no, 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 no. You're not, you're not playing this week. You're out. Don't worry about it. He goes, I knew then that I made the team based off of that because he impressed them enough in practices. He impressed them enough in off-season workouts, in the meeting rooms, um, the way he conducted himself, the way he handled his business. He, that's just exactly what the Raiders are looking for in terms of these undrafted guys. How impressive are they? How, how do they interact with one another? How do they go about their business on an everyday basis? Um, do they go in and conduct themselves in a manner that is professional and is one that puts them in a position to not only help the team, but also um, be a good representative of the team? And that is exactly what they're looking for, not to mention on the field performance. I mean, some of these guys go undrafted because there's a there's a hiccup in their life and, and a team is leery of, of them being um, of drafted because they don't want to catch the backlash. But but their job, as Brack was would tell me, he goes, he would say, Bro, my job is to take the next man's job. So his job is to – so these rookies' jobs – so Keyshawn Nixon's job is to take Nick Nelson's job. His job is to take Worley's job. His oh, job is oh, to try to up. take Gary R. Conley's job. So that's the, that's, the, that's the mentality they have to have. And it's the same thing for these drafted guys, the guys that are there. Their job is to take the next man's job. It's nothing personal. It's just business. So until you – have that mentality, or unless you have that mentality, it's going to, it's, it's extremely, you're not going to be successful in the NFL or trying to make a team. Yeah. I mean, and then out of, I know they picked up four offensive linemen, like players from Power Five schools, UCLA, uh, Alabama, um, Louisville, and then one from San Diego. I mean, Lester Cotton Sr. from Alabama, from what I read up on him, um, he's um, more, may not be agile to play effectively in zone blocking, but he's someone who can sort of finish the blocks and sort of, you know, be, be that guy who doesn't uh, relent. What, what do you make of... Uh, the offensive lineman that they did pick up. Well, I think it's it's going to be interesting um, because at the end of the day, you know this. The, I think the coach under the biggest amount of pressure on that staff, without a doubt, is Tom Cable. So that that offensive line group has to perform at a level far better than what it has under Cable. And for, for any of Cable's offensive line groups the last you're five you're years. Sure. So I think it comes down to it comes down to Tom Cable's teachings. He has to do a better job of getting these guys ready in their performance. 
in order for the Raiders to be successful this year, quite honestly, the Raiders have to block better. There's, there's breaking up. The Raiders have to block better. Period. There's no way you can skirt around it. There's no way you can say it any other way. In order for them to win, the offensive line has to do their job. Unless, you know, so for these guys that are undrafted, they're, they're coming in to back up. None of these guys are coming in to start. Okay. When you look at the tackles, you got Miller and Brown on the left and the right side, respectively. Then you got Parker as the swing tackle. You have to find the left guard. If it's Richie Incognito, if they sign him, um, if it's somebody else they bring in or they see who, you know, if they, there could be a guy, a surprise cut down, down the road in a few weeks for salary cap reasons and a guy, and they could sign a guy there. It could be somebody internally. Um, you still have Gabe Jackson at right guard and you still got Hudson as the center. So at the end of the day, you have, you have to fill that hole. So could one of those guys come in and, and compete for a left guard spot? Maybe they didn't get drafted because they're a tackle in college and they weren't athletic and, or they weren't athletic enough to play tackle. And, and there's questions on whether or not they could be kicked inside. Well, Raiders fans, you remember the name Robert Gallery? Robert Gallery was drafted to be the left tackle. He, he eventually ended up becoming the guard on the inside, a very good one at that. So, I mean, sometimes you, ha- you, you draft these guys and you make these moves thinking they're going to be one thing, but they end up being another. If you can get an undrafted guy to do that, great. I know there's been, there are plenty of teams in the NFL that have done a really good job of finding guys as undrafted rookies and plugging them in at, at, at inside at, at, at guards or even there's guys at tackle. Um, I mean, hell, I'll, I'll say this right now. Uh, uh, this is what the 17th, May 17th, when we're recording this somewhere around there. Um, Lyle Collins is going to be a free agent from the Cowboys. They're not going to be able to resign him. Not when you have to pay Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, and Raiders fans' favorite player, Armani, Armani Cooper. He's coming up on his deal expires into this year as well. He's going to be a free agent. There's your left guard. You just wait a year. You're, you're waiting until next offseason, and that's the guy you throw big bucks at. Now your offensive line, you re-sign Hudson, you have the highest paid right, highest paid tackle in the game currently with, with, with Brown. You have your first round pick with Miller, who, and I've been hard on him because I didn't like the pick, but when he was healthy the first few games of the year, he was very good. It wasn't until he got hurt when he really started to play bad and this became a turnstile at left tackle. So you got Miller, then you, you would, let's say you sign a Collins, you have Hudson and Gabe Jackson. That's a very good offensive line going forward and coming into Las Vegas. So these young, these, these guys who, who were undrafted in, in, it just comes down to, can they make the transition? And when it's the right time, well, they're going to, are they going to maximize their opportunity on the, on the field? But it comes also, but, but the last person it comes down to is the most important person is Tom Cable. If he can't get them ready, then I don't see him lasting as their offensive line coach beyond this year. Yeah. And to sort of 
piggyback off of that. The offensive line, if you wait a year, that would be good because the Raiders know that they need to win when they come to Vegas, when they arrive in the new stadium, because the Knights, and among other teams, sort of have set, have set a precedent for them, and they realize where the bar is and where they need to get to. Especially moving into a one twenty billion dollar stadium, they they know they have a big target on their back to win Vegas, and that's sort of why they went out and did what they did this past off season with Antonio Brown and Trent Brown among the rest of the free agent signings, trades, and draft acquisitions. Well, this there's no honeymoon period for them. I mean, that ended last year when the Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup Finals. I've said that on the record. I've said that on shows in Vegas. I've said that to you. I've said it to whomever. There's no honeymoon period. Uh, I actually told them, I actually told the Raiders that. I was talking with them, and I, I, I was at a dinner with them, and I said, uh, I said, looks like, oh, George McPhee uh, <laughs> took the honeymoon period right out of the year for you. They go, no, not shit. And they started to laugh about it, you know. They know they have to win, and that's the plan. They didn't come to Vegas to, we're going to continue to build a winner and not be good because we want to build for this. No, they're building to be a winner in Vegas. And that's why, you know, this draft is, Q and I had said on Q&A repeatedly, this was the most important draft, arguably, in Raiders history because of the fact that they know they need to come to Vegas and win right away. Look, they, if they win between seven and nine, maybe 10 games this year, I don't know about 10. That's, that's the Mel Kuyper exercise. I say between seven and nine. And, and that, that's them doubling their win total from last year. It's a successful season. It's a very successful season. And then next year in 2020 is when you look to, okay, now we can't compete because let's be honest. Patrick Mahomes isn't going to throw for 50 touchdowns. 5,000 yards a game. Tyreek Hill may or may not be on the team. I seriously doubt that he's going to be. He's not, he doesn't have Kareem Hunt in the backfield any longer. Kareem Hunt is, is, is by Lake Erie right now, gonna be out eight games, but God bless him for everything he's doing off the field and getting the help that he needs to get. So he doesn't have the, those two biggest weapons. If they think a rookie from Georgia, who wasn't even a featured player is going to come in and be Tyreek Hill and that offense. Yeah, good luck with that. So Kansas City is not going to be the same team. Not to mention, you know, they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, they made the, the big trade with Seattle to bring Frank Clark in, but they're not the same team defensively. You, lo- you lost your voice, your leader in Eric Berry. You lost another one in Justin Houston. D Ford is gone. So there, there's a lot of guys on Kansas City that have been exited. And that's been Andy Reid's MO. Focus on offense, worry, let somebody else worry about the defense. So Kansas City's not going to be the same team. You turn to Denver. Denver, Lord knows if Vic Fangio is going to be a good head coach. He can coordinate and command one hell of a defense. He's done it for a very, very long time throughout a, a number of cities in the NFL. But Vic Fangio, as a head coach, it remains to be seen what he's going to do. 
you have the quarterback situation. You got Joey Flacco, who's already said that he has no interest and intent on helping the young, the, the kid they drafted in the second round grow. Drew Locke. Um, Drew Locke. Yeah. So there's, so there's, now you already have some friction in the quarterback room. John Elway has not done a good job building that team, especially at the quarterback position. And this is the year, and I've talked about it with my, my buddies on Denver radio. Um, and I've talked about it with, with a, a former Las Vegas radio host now in Denver. Um, and I, I said, you know, what do you think? He goes, Oh, the pressure's on John 100%, 150%. You know, there's a lot. Is Lindsley going to be that type of running back again? You know, who's your receivers? You have, um, you have Emmanuel and Saunders and you have the kid you drafted last year at Oklahoma State that, that is just a big tall guy that he can't run the route tree, but he can go up and get it. So, okay, you drafted Noah Font or Fant, but let's see, you know, if he's going to do what he did in college at the NFL level. So, there is a lot of questions with Denver defensively. You know, are they going to be the same defensively? They've always, you know, they, they, they put out a great defense every year, but I think there's questions in their secondary. And then when you, then you turn around and you look at, um, Sandy, or you look at the Chargers. Now I almost said San Diego where they should still should be. I think that's a travesty. Um, the Chargers. They're the one of the most well put together teams overall in the NFL. But you lose Tyrell Williams. And that means there's gonna be some coverage rolled to Keenan Allen, uh, who's doing a lot of talking this offseason. And, you know, they're really feeling themselves. There's still a big question mark at tight end. They got the guy coming back off of injury. Um, but let's see if he does anything. Uh will Melvin Gordon ever stay healthy? You know, I love Melvin Gordon. I think he's a fantastic, he's a great running back in Wisconsin. And when he's been healthy, he's been a very good running back for the Chargers. Phillip Rivers is what he's had, had, he's been very good. And then last year, all of a sudden he was like he was in his prime again. Was it every, every, every quarterback and every player goes through a season right before they hit that down, downfall, where there's that blip. You look at Brett Favre the year, uh, that, year before he was traded to the Jets. He has some mediocre seasons and all of a sudden that that year he was MVP caliber Brett Favre again. And then he, when he got traded to the Jets, he was mediocre with the Vikings. He was average and then he was hurt and he retired. So there's always that blip on the radar year right before like almost like if someone has dementia and right before they pass, they have one day where they they're just completely lucid and they have all, they have all their faculties together. Um, and then that, that horrible debilitating disease takes over. Well, that was last year, that lucid year for Philip Rivers. Who's the guy that's going to back him up? Who's the guy, if he goes down, that's going to take over? It's not Geno Smith. He's gone. So, you know, there are a lot of, I think there's some question marks with the Chargers who are still the class of that division, in my opinion. So, the Raiders have a ways to go in order for them to compete against those teams in a couple years. What the Raiders need to do is build a young team that Gruden and Mayock 
put together and they put together a team that they're teaching how to win a certain way. So some of these guys coming from other organizations or guys that have been with the Raiders in the past and have been problem guys, they're starting to be exited out. And it started last year. And they're changing the culture. They're changing the vibe. And they want specific types of football players. And you've seen the guys they want. They want guys that, one, love football. They don't care about the guy that is six foot four, 230 pounds with 1.9% body fat and ran a 4'3". But can he run the route tree and can he catch? And does he help us win right now? No, he doesn't. It's going to take him a few years. We want guys that can help us win right now. And as we get better, they get better. So in two or three years, when we reach our apex, they're starting to come into their prime and we get them for all their prime years. And we have sustained success like you've seen in New England, like you've seen in Pittsburgh, like you've seen in Green Bay, like you've seen in San Francisco in the 80s and 90s, in Dallas in the 80s and 90s. Like you see in those, that's what they're trying to build. That's what they're trying to bring back. Are they going to go back to being the Raiders of the 70s and the early 80s? And even in the, you know, even the 90s where you bring in guys, the misfits and the, the nomads and the, the, the Lyle Alzados, you bring in Todd Christensen, uh, Eddie Anderson, Mel Blunt. Like, no, you're, you're not, they're not going back to those guys. They're not, they're not. They're, they're bringing in guys like Clean and Farrell, who's from a military background that all he's done is make plays on the football field his entire life and was one of the leading sackers in college football the last two years. And a guy that plays with passion, that is a leader, that is vocal, and that's an alpha male. John Abram, the same thing, an alpha male. When you look at, uh, hell, even, uh, Max Crosby, he's an alpha male. Look at Quentin Bell is going to surprise a lot of people, I think. I think he's going to surprise a, a ton of people with the way that he plays football, with his size and his speed. He's going to be a guy that I think could make an impact. So they're bringing in guys that are alpha males, that are leaders, and that aren't going to put up with any mess. This, this, is, this is a new Raiders, a new generation of Raider, a new era of Raider football that John Gruden and Mike Mack are overseeing and that, if you're a Raider fan, you have to be happy about. Well, for the future of Raider football, it is good to bring in leaders to put them in the foundation so that the future generation learns from them and can piggyback off their success and can lean on them for mentorship and and the like. And, you know... When the Raiders move to Las Vegas in 2020 next season, they will have learned from the foundation of the team, from the bricks and mortar of the team that the Raiders drafted this year and that they will continue to draft in the future. Is They're setting the tone for the next 10, next decade of football. Absolutely. And that's why we said that it's the, it was the most important draft in team history. And they have to have hit on the majority of these guys. And I think they did. I mean, if you can, if you can look at the success that, that these guys have had in college, as well as 
um, you know, what and, and try to compare it to to what they could possibly have in the pros. I mean, Farrell has been a great player since high school. And was he drafted high at four overall? Probably, but he was their guy. Like, if he was drafted at if they if that was New England taking him at four, it'd be an excellent pick. It's because it's the Raiders and it's unknown. If that was if, if you know, with Josh Jacobs, what's the question with him? Well, the question with him is real simple. He didn't get a lot of carries. You know, he wasn't the starter. You know, okay, but when he was on the field, he was the most dynamic back on that offense. You know, and that's why Nick Saban went to him more times than not. So, therefore, yes, that was a that was a good pick right there. He fits what Gruden wants. They wanted to be an every down back. Abram is is an alpha male. I, I to me was the best safety in the class, and I had him in every mock except the last one going to the Raiders at that pick. For the most part, I thought he was the the, the right guy for them, and those are guys that. In a, in a, in a meeting room are going to hold people accountable because they hold themselves accountable. And that's what they want. They don't want guys that are going to fall asleep in meetings. They don't want guys that are going to pass the buck to other people or blame somebody else. They don't want guys that are going to run to the media, run there. They want guys that are going to come in and say, look, this is how we're doing things. They want guys that, that can be coached up that they feel that, okay, you know what? There's, that they, they want guys that are talented, but they're, that are going to outwork their talent to bust through that ceiling. And I think there are so many guys, not just in the NFL, but in sports that are so talented, but they've been able to skirt by because they've always been the, the biggest, the strongest, the fastest guy throughout youth sports, throughout high school, throughout college that they never really had to work. Like, that's the knock on Leonard Fournette. He's always was the biggest guy as a running back, so he never really had to work. Even in college, he really didn't have to work. That's why when he started really getting hit, he was getting dinged up because he doesn't know how to react to being being hurt. That's a big deal with Cam Newton. Mechanically, he is a mess as a quarterback. He is not a great passer. But he's always the biggest, strongest, fastest, and he had a big arm. So, of course, he's going to play quarterback. He's going to run around. And he can't and out athlete you and you can't do that in the NFL and not have any long term sustained success. So that that's the difference. They want a guy like Farrell, for I'm gonna keep going back to him, that has had success in high school, goes to college, works, 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 grinds and explodes and becomes this dominant alpha male, the leader of that defense for two years. And then goes, and now he's in the NFL, and he's, that's all he knows is to work, to put 100% effort in, to study his playbook, to, to hit the weights, to, to lead by example and by being vocal. They want that type of guy, because those are the guys that bust through the, bust through the ceiling. And then it's like, well, what do you, well, we didn't see this coming. No, look, I love Mel Kuyper. Love Mel Kuyper to death. I think he's fantastic at what he does. He's very entertaining. Mike Mayock, as an analyst, as a draft analyst, the same thing. 
the best. That's why he's a general manager now. Daniel Jeremiah did an excellent job this year for the NFL Network. Um, Todd McShay, I don't think that highly of. Um, there's a bunch of guys out there that do it. But at the end of the day, they're all wrong most of the time. Mel Kuyper, who I call Uncle Mel because that's the guy that got me really into everything that I'm doing. You know, not, you know, just because I've admired him for so long. He said on TV that Jimmy Carson isn't a good quarterback in the NFL in two or three years. He's going to, he'll stop doing draft analysts for ESPN and stop doing it completely. Jimmy Carson has been out the league for almost 10 years now or so. Mel's still doing what he's doing. So at the end of the day, every, all these guys are wrong. Everybody's wrong and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're running a team, you, you have to be right. If you have 12 draft picks, you better be right four or five of them every draft. Cause that's how you build a good team. You can't afford to be wrong and end up having out of your 12 draft picks four years later. 11 of them out of the league and one guy is on another team. You can't do that. You're not going to be in the league that much longer. Yeah, you can't keep improving your team because once you miss out on a player, the other player, another player might be out of the prime or be less effective due to injury. And you can't afford to keep doing the same thing every season because there's a time for everyone, every player in the NFL. And when that time hits, you might be looking for that position next year. And then that, that will become uh, another position needs. So you can't keep filling positions needs while filling positions need. You need to get every single draft pick right. Or not every single draft pick, but about, as you said, four or five draft picks per year, right, in order to sustain that level of play where you have been. And, yeah, make a, get a, uh, get a quarter of them right. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Spit in Silver and Black on the Silver Black Pride Podcast Network on SB Nation. 